Well, hey, go ahead. If you have your Bible, grab it, and you can turn to Matthew chapter 6. This is our third week in our Pray Like This series. We've been going through the Lord's Prayer. If this is your first time here, we're in week three. We're going to take it all the way through until next week. And then uh, starting in February, we're going to be uh, tackling the Gospel of Mark for eight months. Um, so hopefully one of the things that we've kind of been learning as we've been going through this series on prayer, the Lord's Prayer, is that prayer is actually spending time with God. Now, I know that at different times in my life, you know, I've had like different friends who, I, who I've hung out with, and um, what's interesting is that whoever I hang out with, I start reflecting uh, the, 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 the person that I, that I spend time with. It becomes a reflection on me who they are, you know, whether they're funny or whether they're, you know, serious or, or smart. I, I wish I could get a little, you know, a few more smart people into my life. That would be super helpful. Some of you guys are going to be offended by that, but, uh, you know, whether they're loving and caring and courageous. The thing is, is that as I'm with them, uh, I'm more of those things because I'm with people whose character reflects those things. And so as we spend time, as Jesus was calling his disciples, giving them this model for how to spend time with God, as we spend time with our creator, uh, he rubs off on us, right? And we reflect his character more and more. And what happens is we start saying what he says, uh, we start thinking what he thinks, and what we learned even last week is, is prayer is how God readjusts our hearts to reflect Jesus, to reflect his son. It's kind of like when you, uh, when you adjust you know, the rear view mirror or the side mirrors in your car. Now, I don't, I don't know how those things always get messed up. Like, I'm not going to lie to you, there's like, you know, there's like some Keebler elf division of, of mirrors who's responsible for coming in and tweaking our mirrors in our cars. I don't know, but... but you know they're adjustable, right? So like when, you're, when your mirrors are off, you, you don't just leave them wherever they are. You adjust your mirror. The reason why you do that is because you want to avoid blind spots so that you're seeing what's truly there, okay? And we remember uh, the, this quote I gave last week by Tim Keller. He says that praying, what it does is it readjusts and it reorders our loves, he says. And the reordering of our loves, he said, was the, is the key. The key to all we need to know and be in Christ. So Jesus, what he does is he comes in, he gives us a model or an order in which to pray, and he does all of this for God's glory, not arbitrarily, but he does it for God's glory and for our sanctification. In other words, he's not, not just giving us something to throw at the wall and see if it sticks. He's giving us a rootedness for the things that we're supposed to be about in accordance with how we pray. So we learned in the first week that Jesus wants us going before God like children. We're addressing God as Father in humble dependence, right? We're praying for the glory of his name, we learned last week. We're praying for his kingdom to come and his will to be done. Before we pray for all other needs in our life, what really gets us going, what we know is most important, is God's will being done, his kingdom coming, and his glory spreading to all corners of the earth with people, with the group of people, the church that he has called to obey his commands and live out uh, his will so that the whole earth can be filled with a more greater percentage and amount of his glory. Right, So that's where Jesus starts us as a model of where we're supposed to start in prayer. And the heart we're supposed to have uh, is a, a quote I'm going to take from that book I just promoted a minute ago from Paul Miller. Here's the heart that Jesus is leading us to, and it's this. It's learned desperation. Paul Miller makes this quote. He says, learned desperation is at the heart of a praying life. So as we 
learn to come before God as our Father and pray for His glory to be above all other things, it humbles our hearts as we come to Him with our greatest physical and spiritual needs, which we're going to learn this morning, is food and forgiveness. And and that's really our, our main point this morning, is that God gives us food and forgiven hearts so that we have the faith to forgive others. And that's it. God provides our two most elemental but essential needs. In other words, he gives us food to live physically and forgiveness to live spiritually. And so after we approach God as a father, hallowing his name, asking for his desire, his will, which is that people around all the corners of the earth would bow before him and give glory to his name and obey his commands. After we do that, then he says, hey, I also want you to come before the Lord as needy kids praying for what it is that you really need, which is food and forgiveness. So what I want us to do as we turn to Matthew 6, um, I want us to read the Lord's Prayer together as a congregation right now. So we're going to start in uh, Matthew 6, verse 9, when Jesus says, pray then like this. Let's read together right now through verse 13. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. So today we are going to be looking at verses 11 and 12. Jesus calls us, interestingly enough, after all of that, what Jesus calls us to pray for is our basic needs. But you know what's interesting about that? Is they're not really that basic, are they? I mean, without them, without food, like we're all going to die Physically, I, like not today, right? Like not today. I got enough donut in me to where I'm going to be okay for a little while. But he calls us to our most basic needs, which in, in a sense are basic, but, but not entirely. Because without food, we die. And without forgiveness, we die. We die spiritually. And here's what's interesting for us as we approach this and as we sort of uh, take stock of our own heart in this. Part, part of the rub with this is that, man, we just don't like being needy. And what Jesus is saying as he brings us into this prayer, as he's brought us, you know, in our approach to this prayer, is he's basically bringing us to a place in verse 11 and 12 where he's saying, you know what? You're incredibly needy. You're so needy that you need to pray for the two most basic, elemental, but essential things in your life. And guess what? You need to do it daily, is what he's telling us. He says right there in verse 11, give us this day our daily bread. And remember the focus, the focus is not really on bread but it's on the God who provides our bread. It's on Christ. It's on the bread of life. But he starts in by saying, give us this day. Look at that first word, give. What what does that remind us of? Well, it reminds us that God is our giver. I mean, look at who we're appealing to. Look at who Jesus is, is telling us to appeal to for food. He says, give us this day our daily bread. We're appealing to God for something as basic and as simple as food. Jesus calls us to pray for what we need today. He says, give us this day our daily bread, not not tomorrow. He says, I want you to be in the moment. I want you to recognize your deep need that's happening like right now. Now, what this would have reminded the disciples of was the time of the Exodus, right, when God provided the Israelites with bread, with manna every morning for them to eat. And God What God did was he instructed them to collect 
only what they needed for the day. So the, the Israelites would have woken up, and there would have been all of this flaky bread laying all over the ground, and they would have collected it. And his instruction to them, his command was, just take what you need for the day. And if they took more than that, if they thought, you know, I don't know, tomorrow's Wednesday, and that's a busy day for me, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to collect a little bit more, what would happen is um, it would go rotten by the end of the day. And the, and the point was that they didn't need to take more bread because there would be more in the morning, okay? So, and that, that kind of reminds us, and it kind of pulls us back to how we approach just even our basic needs like food. Because anything we collect, okay, anything that we try to gather and collect in our own lives that we think we don't need to trust God for, you know, ultimately, it's stuff that's going to go rotten, right? Trusting God today is how we become people who would trust him tomorrow. Listen, not only for tomorrow, but tomorrow, right? So we're trusting him for tomorrow, and we're trusting him when we wake up tomorrow. Now, that does not mean that we don't use wisdom. It doesn't mean that we don't save. It doesn't mean that we don't show godly stewardship. Um, it means we do those things, we do those things trusting that this is how God will provide for all of tomorrow's todays, okay? The Israelites, I mean, they still had to go collect the food, right? They showed stewardship in the day to collect what God had provided for them. The point was that they were trusting God to give because it's God who is the giver. And what this does is this just speaks, man, it just speaks to our tendency of thinking that God can't be bothered with things this small. Like, does God really care about my food? Does he really care about the food that I eat? Well, Jesus says, he says, pray, give us this day our daily bread. And you, and you know what that means for us? God cares about our oatmeal. I mean, God cares about our oatmeal. He cares about your cereal. He cares about your orange juice. He cares about the things that you need as a person that are going to give you daily strength to get through the day as a physical person that requires food. It's like, Ronnie, you're treating me like we're in kindergarten right now. I'm just saying what it's saying. Like, he gives us our daily bread. He cares about the intricacies of even our, our daily intake, right? Philippians 4.19 says this, if we think that he doesn't, and we do. We default to that a little bit. Philippians 4.19 says, And my God will meet all your needs, it says, according to the riches of his glory in Jesus Christ. So what that means is he gives our most elemental but essential needs according to his glory. That's why we talk so much about God's glory around here. If God's dependability, if his level of dependability is dependent on his glory... He can always be counted on, right? Because he doesn't run low on resources to give himself more glory. That's not what we know about God, right? So like before I came up here, what, what the sound guys do every, uh, every week is I got this battery pack and they, they check the batteries. They're, you know, they're always reaching behind here. I'm like, here, let me get that for you. And I hand it to him like that, you know, Bondo. And I'm not saying anything bad about you right now. I'm just saying it's a little uncomfortable, and I want, I want to make sure that we have a good, you know, junior high, three feet distance thing going on right here. Um, but they check the batteries, because the batteries in my mic pack, they don't, they can't be counted on to be forever resourceful, right? 
Now, here's what's interesting for us living in the society that we live in is that a secularist, somebody who doesn't believe in God or somebody who doesn't depend on God, he doesn't need to pray, right? Because he thinks that he believes he's responsible for all of his resources, right? So that's why, that's why the secularist, the somebody who just disavows God and thinks that everything that he has is down to the work of his own hands, that's why he doesn't pray. So here's my question for you as we continue on this morning is this, do you live as a functional secularist? Do you live as someone who thinks, dude, it's oatmeal? Like, man, when you open up my, you open up my, my pantry right now, there's going to be like 30 boxes of cereal. Like, if you open up, like, you know, I'm one of those guys that, like, you know, every January, I, like, you know, I, I buy, like, half the cow, and I put it in my freezer. It's like, dude, I got food all year. Like, if I never buy, if I never buy, if I never buy one more item from the store, like, I'm covered. Like, like, I'm good. I'm good with that. And so, a lot of times, because we can look at our resources that we think we have stacked, we think, well, I, I mean, I, I mean, really? I mean, give us this day, our Captain Crunch, I got nine boxes in the pantry, right? But, I, but what happens is that we, we miss that what God is trying to cultivate in us is a heart of belief in the fact that he is responsible for both the means and the ends of everything that we have. So here, we got to consider this, right? Or do we live like that? We got to ask ourselves, what things in our life are we essentially praying to and depending on to provide our needs, right? Because if it's not God, it's something, we know that, right? If it's not God, if you're not going before God and praying for your daily bread, you are praying for something. You are depending on something. You are functionally praying to something, whether it's your job, whether it's depending on somebody else to provide your needs. That is actually who you're going to in, in prayer. Jesus is telling us that God can be trusted. He can be trusted to meet our needs with the resources that he makes because you know this thing about God? He makes everything. The resources are his. He gives us those resources to steward, right? Let's go to Matthew 6. We're already in 6. Let's bump up to verse 25. Look at what he says about our hearts in accordance to how we need to pray for this daily bread. He says, therefore, I tell you, Scott just talked about this a little bit. Do not be anxious about your life, what you will eat or what you will drink, nor about your body, what you will put on. Is not life more than food? And the body more than clothing? Then he just gives this example that's, that's meant to just show us the ridiculousness of anxiety. Look at the birds of the air. They neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns. And yet your heavenly Father feeds them. So that's what I mean when I say God cares about your oatmeal. Because he cares about the food of birds that in our economy are seemingly insignificant. And then he says, are you not of more value than they? This is Jesus telling us that. He's bringing up a point of logic. He says, don't you know that you're of more value than they? And which of you, by being anxious, can add a single hour to his span of life? So he kind of points out the ridiculousness of thinking that we are in charge uh, of our own resources and that we really don't need to pray for our resources since God is the one that provides for all. So we pray like this, okay, to remember that and God is the one that's responsible. Maybe that should take a load off of some of you that, that battle with things of this nature, right? God is responsible for meeting all our needs, and he provides both the means and the ends, right? I, I mean, it's like if you give your kids 
an allowance and they go around bragging that they're rich. It's like, dude, who just gave you that $5? All right, it's 2016. Who just gave you that $25? I don't know what the allowance is up to right now. Like, who just gave you that? You're not rich. You have what you have because I literally just reached into my pocket and said, here, right? It's ridiculous. But some of you guys are, are thinking, well, I have a job. Do you? You have a job? Well, good. Because God gave you that to provide you with food for you and your family. He provides the means and the ends. Have a hardworking spouse? Good. God gave you that hardworking spouse to help provide both the means and the ends of your, for your daily bread. Have a trust fund? Well, that's where all this falls apart. I'm kidding. Um, <laughs> nevertheless, whatever you have, it's been given to you by God. Even you trust fund babies, right? And we need to go before the Lord with whatever means he's given us to the ends that it leads us. We need to go before him in humble dependence, asking him for our most basic need, which is food to eat. That's our postures. Do your kids ever miss a day to tell you that they're hungry? I mean, has your kid ever gone, gosh, mom and dad, it's, it's, I know it's, it's 7.30. I, I'm, number one, I'm angry that you sent me to bed this early. But number two, um, I realized that I forgot to ask you for a food today. I mean, literally, it's never happened. Like, literally, if that ever happened, like, you and, the, you know, you and your wife, husband, you'd be, like, throwing a party out. You know, it would be, like, unprecedented for you. We need God to give to us as we go before him, like a child goes before their parent and says, God, I, I need this. I need you to keep providing for me. We need God to give. And then as we get into verse 12, we need God to both give and forgive. He says, forgive us our debts as we have also forgiven our debtors. If we can't even provide our own bread, which is the argument that Jesus is making here, how much more our own forgiveness, right? If God cares this much about food, how much more forgiveness, and I think the reason why he stacks it up the way he does, the way he calls us to ask for our daily bread first and then to forgive us of our debts is uh, because we understand our need for forgiveness by understanding our need for sustenance. I think it's unique the way God lined that up, meaning we, we, can't, we can't live without it. Jesus first says to pray, give us, and then he says, Forgive us. You know what that leads us to understanding? That we don't have to conceal things, right? We don't have to conceal our need for food, our desperate, pleading need that God would continue to feed us. And we also don't have to conceal our need for forgiveness. We don't have to do that. Daily food is great. I like it. I want it. It provides nourishment. Daily confession provides something different. It provides cleansing for us. We know this in 1 John 1, 9 where it says, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just, to forgive us our sins and do what? And to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You know, it's kind of like bleaching a load of white laundry. And you throw that, you throw that white item in the laundry basket or in the, or in the, or in the washer. It's white, right? We're, we're, nobody's debating that it's white, but it becomes stained because none of you know how to eat properly, Right? That's what happens. So asking God to forgive us our debts, it's like the bleaching process of our heart, right? We should remember in that that God is actually more acquainted with our sin than we are. Do you know that? Like when you go before God to confess your sins, to say forgive us our debts, it's not like you're bringing something up that he's like, oh my gosh, I forgot about that one. I forgot about that sin. I forgot about that debt. 
He's actually more acquainted with our sin than we are, meaning we are sinning in ways that we're not aware of, okay? But by daily confessing our need for forgiveness, what happens in that is our heart becomes more aware of our indebtedness to God. And the reason for that is because sin is debt. Sin is debt, and debt is real. It's a real thing for us. It's a real problem for us. We have this thing in America called bankruptcy. It's, it's not a word that people like, you know, throw parties over and, and get really stoked about. Uh, and what it means is that when your debt exceeds what you are able to pay back, the court resolves you of your debt. And the debt collectors take back the items or the properties that you can't pay for, and you're left uh, with what you can pay for, but you're left without any credit, right? Um, so bankruptcy, what it indicates is that either we handled our money wrong or we lost the means to pay uh, what we owe. My dad went bankrupt in, in 1984. And what happened was he owned a trucking company and he lost a bunch of accounts. The economy took a downturn and now he didn't have the money to pay for the things that he had gotten loans for, like his cars and his house. And at some point, he couldn't pay for those items, so the bank took the items back and he was left without any credit and needing to live uh, a lifestyle that depended on cash only to start building his credit back up so that he could eventually buy the things that you can only get unless you're a quadrimillionaire with, with cash. Um, so what's interesting about that is that, that that's such a, it's such a great illustration about our debtedness to God. Romans 6.23, this famous verse, for the wages of sin is death but the gift of God, the free gift of God, is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. So it's like bankruptcy. It's like spiritual bankruptcy. We handled everything wrong. We don't have the means to pay any of it back, but God gave us Jesus to pay it back. That's what it means when we come before the Lord and say, forgive us our debts. What we're saying is, Lord, the debt that Jesus paid Will you allow him to continue to pay that debt? Will you cleanse me of my ongoing sin? God gave us Jesus to pay back the debt we owed. But we, we can now pay that forward, right? When he says, forgive us our debts, he also says, as we also have forgiven our debtors, right? So we know what forgiveness is like because we receive it first and then we give it to those who need it from us, right? So here's the thing. When we talk about forgiving others in evidence that God is your father and that you know your debt is real is that you forgive other people of the debt that you've been forgiven, okay? Now, some of you are like, Ronnie, you don't know some of the things that have been done to me. Like, you're asking me to forgive uh, some people of of uh, tragedies that have befallen me. People have sinned against me in ways that you're now asking me that I should just go ahead and forget about it and just forgive them and move on like nothing happened? Like, is that really what we're talking about? Well, no, because some of us have experienced that level of sin against us. And so what happens is, is that as we as we ask God to forgive us of our debts, what it does is, and God does that daily cleansing in our lives as he continues to forgive us and draw us deeper into his love and to his trust, what he does is he may not uh, repair that relationship with that person that damaged you, but what he might do is he might cause something to open up in your heart over time that alleviates the bitterness 
and the anger that has built up in there. You might not get any resolve. Sometimes we don't get resolve. But he didn't talk about resolve. He said, as we have also forgiven our debtors. So there's a way for us here that we can go before the Lord, we can forgive others, and God will daily cleanse us, remove some of that angerness and that bitterness that is built up in our hearts towards others that have sinned grievously against us. And that happens because we actually go before the Lord and ask him to forgive us of our debts. And here's here's the thing. We need forgiven hearts to forgive like God has forgiven us. And you know what else? It, It takes faith, doesn't it? It takes faith to forgive others because it doesn't mean we'll be forgiven by them. We have no guarantee of that. But when we forgive others, what we're doing in those moments is we're believing in the forgiveness we've received for the debt that we owed. Here's what Jesus doesn't do. He doesn't say, forgive your debtors and then ask God to forgive. You notice he doesn't do that sequence. Because then you'd feel like you earned God's forgiveness because of this magnificent, fantastic forgiveness that you just threw out on your debtors. And maybe, just maybe, we have a hard time forgiving others because we never ask forgiveness for ourselves. So our heart isn't in the daily habit of understanding what it means for God to remove our guilt and do that daily cleansing process in our lives. Now, I experienced this, and it was crazy. I experienced this firsthand this week as I was uh, studying this passage and praying through it, and I, I Man, I was convicted. You know, I, I, saw, I saw a guy the other night that was still harboring some bitterness towards. And um, so the next day I was praying through it, and the Lord convicted me. And I was, as I was praying for forgiveness, I just I felt compelled to reach out and just say, hey, you know, I want you to know that there's no hard feelings. How are you? Um, praying for you. It gave me the opportunity to pray for him. But it was hard to do that. It was hard to do that. But it didn't start with that. It started because I was spending a moment with the Lord asking forgiveness, considering the debt that God through Christ has relieved me of. And it opened up a very narrow channel in my heart to reach out to this brother. And I'm telling you, in the reaching out, in the, in the act of, of saying, hey, it's okay, by my reaching out, this is almost a gesture of forgiveness, he, he did something. He cleared away another layer in my heart of bitterness that I had been harboring against him. So we pray like this to remember that needy people need to forgive needy people because that's who we are. Let's uh, go to Matthew 18. Matthew 18, verse 21. We get some good context for this. Matthew 18, 21, it's, it's a parable. It's, it's traditionally called the parable of the unforgiving servant because this is serious. So when God says, when, when Jesus says, pray, forgive us our debts as we, is, as we have forgiven our debtors, it's, it's a serious charge. Verse, uh, chapter 18, verse 21 in Matthew, it says, Then Peter came up and said, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? Jesus said, I do not say to you seven, but 70 times seven. And then he tells this parable in verse 23. He says, therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. 
When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed 10,000 talents. Now, that's just, like a, that's just like a billion dollars, right? Just think of it as a billion dollars, 10,000 talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and his children and all that he had and payment to be made. Verse 26, so the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, have patience with me, and I will pay you everything. Well, a billion dollars? Probably not. Verse 27, and out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. So just be like a hundred bucks, nothing, not a, not a big debt. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, pay what you owe me. Dude. So his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him. Have patience with me, and I will pay you. Verse 30, he refused and went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to their master all that had taken place. Then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all the debt because you pleaded with me. And should not have you had mercy on your fellow servant as I had mercy on you? And in anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also, my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. Forgiven people forgive people. It says something about whether we're forgiven people if we harbor bitterness and anger and unforgiveness perpetually towards another brother or sister. We need to think about that, take that very seriously. Not forgiving others. It calls into question our forgiven status. And here's what's interesting, is that what we forgive in others, as we see here in this parable, what we forgive in others is minor compared to what God has forgiven us. So when we don't do that, we lack we lack the consideration and the awareness of what God has done for us. Let's turn to Luke and give that a little, uh, let's give that some claws right there. Let's go to Luke chapter 18. And this leads us into the posture that Jesus wants us to have as we pray, forgive us our debts as we have forgiven our debtors. Luke 18, we're going to pick up with verse 9. It says this. It's another parable. The Pharisee and the tax collector, he also told this parable to some who trusted in themselves that they were righteous and treated others with contempt. And he says this in verse 10. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. The Pharisee, standing by himself, prayed thus, God, I thank you that I am not like other men, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even like this tax collector. I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all that I get. But... The tax collector, standing far off, would not even lift up his eyes to heaven, but beat his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. I tell you, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, but the one who humbles himself will be exalted. So praying like this is praying the heart of Jesus it brings us to Jesus' humanity, to his life, to his death. 
praying like this for food and forgiveness, it connects us to the gospel. Because you know what we know about Jesus? Jesus didn't need forgiveness, but he bore the wrath for those who did. He forgave those who did. So God does this wonderful thing for us of all people. He gives us food and forgiven hearts so that we have the faith to forgive others. And you know what? He is trustworthy for those three things. To give us our daily bread, to forgive us our sins, and to give us the faith to forgive others. He's trustworthy for all those things. We aren't. He is. Let me encourage you to go to him today in humble dependence and see, see as you, as you repeat this pattern of prayer, see how your unbelief and your anxiety and your worry will lessen as your eyes are open to his daily faithfulness and forgiveness. Because here's the problem, uh, here's the problem. When, when, we, when we don't pray like this, okay, when we don't pray like this, it's as if we don't believe we need the things that Jesus is telling us we need for life and godliness. When we only pray this, so, so one of the problems is we don't pray this. The other problem would be that we only pray this. And what happens is we become self-consumed with only our daily needs. Both things are, are polar to what God is centering us to do, which is complete dependence on God for the, both the means and the ends of our food and our forgiveness and faith to forgive others. And you know what happens when the church humbly prays like this? When the church humbly prays for both food and forgiveness and forgives others in faith? Man, we're going to become humble about our abilities, aren't we? We're going to be a humble people. We're also going to be generous with our food and our forgiveness. That's what this is going to do to us with this daily cleansing process that the Lord does as we come before him. And we're going to live thankful lives. That's what happens. That's what happens to a church that comes before the Lord and follows this pattern. We'll experience confidence and contentment and cleansing from a loving Father who provides our elemental and essential needs because he's good and he called us to call on his Goodness. Let's pray. Lord, let us be bound by the freedom that this prayer provides for us. Thank you, Lord, that you are such a good God that you care about all of our needs, our physical needs, our spiritual needs. Thank you that in Christ we find forgiveness of our debt. And thank you that in Christ we are given the faith to forgive others of the debts that they owe us because we are sinned against. And we understand how to do that because we have sinned against you and experienced your grace. Let us be a church that comes together in humble dependence, in humble prayer, believing that you are both the means and the ends for everything that we need in this life. Lord, compel our hearts towards these ends. Let us be a praying church. Let us be a dependent church. Let us be a forgiving church, we pray. And all God's people said, amen.